1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastermonico, Grace Parra, and Dana Schwartz join to tackle the following questions. How do we feel about Kamala Harris? Why is people who have completely lost touch with reality such an important Republican voting block? And why is Joan of Arc absolutely not a badass? All this and more right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. We have a lot to talk about this week. So without further ado, I'm going to look up my friend. She is the former White House Deputy Chief of Staff under President Obama and the mother of two cats that are really misbehaving today. It's Alyssa Monaco. Hey, Alyssa. Erin. Okay, so I'm going to give you one guess for what we're going to lead off with today. And it rhymes with Kamala Harris.
0: Is it? Kamala Harris?
1: It's Kamala Harris. Yep, perfect rhyme with Kamala Harris. Okay, so ever since Joe Biden announced that he was going to pick all women to be his running mate, all 166 million or so of us women (laughs) were on tenterhooks waiting to see which woman would be the king of women. And on Tuesday, Joe Biden announced that he has selected California Senator Kamala Harris as, I guess, our... Is that how vice presidents work? She's now our king? She's our, our king. She's our queen. Yeah. She king our queen? of women. King, King, queen, whatever. Both terms can be gender neutral now. So her nomination for VP is boundary breaking in a lot of cool ways she is the first black woman and the first woman of south asian descent to be the vice presidential nominee for one of the two major parties in a presidential election which is super exciting she was raised by immigrant parents she was raised largely by her mother uh, raising her and her sister alone she's also married to a jewish guy she's like a rainbow of the american experience and she was also a former da and ag in california Alyssa, despite the fact that, you know, there's a lot of celebration yesterday, I think there's something very dangerous about pretending that our preferred political candidates are flawless. And I think there's something disingenuous about hiding uh, disappointment or, or some trepidation about our preferred political candidates. So, Alyssa, give it to me straight. How did you feel when you learned on Tuesday that Joe Biden had selected Kamala Harris to be his running mate?
0: So, Aaron, I think that you and I both would agree that there were no bad candidates that we heard yes. in the last couple of days. If the reporting was correct and it was largely down to Karen Bass, hysteria fave. Love her. Susan Rice, longtime pal of mine, and Kamala Harris, we could not lose. Mm-hmm. Now, was Susan my dear pal and was I, because of my palness and because I believe she is ready to serve... Was I a little excited that it might be Susan? I was. I'm not going to lie. Did I, after talking to Karen Bass the last time, think that I could be Team Bass? I did. So I'm down. We need to win. Kamala's great. I mean, but I think that everyone is allowed to have their feelings, and they should feel free to have their feelings as long as everyone understands that, like, it's fucking time to get up and get on.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, you know, as you know, because you got a text from me, to this effect, yesterday I was driving through a part of Kansas where apparently nobody needs to use a cell phone. Um, of all things, I know I was. It was like five hours of just totally dead service, and uh, we stopped at a gas station in a place called Goodland, Kansas, mm. right off I seventy. And uh, at that moment, Josh had like a bar of service, and he had a text. What do you think about Kamala? And it was like, oh. Okay. Well, it was Kamala. My first feeling was that I was really hoping for a more progressive candidate just because Kamala is a little bit more toward the center than my personal politics are. And she is, although she's somebody that I find really inspiring, and I think she did a great job um, in a lot of ways as AG of California. Um, And she's been a great senator. She's been a a attack dog, basically, on the judiciary. I was hoping for somebody who was a little bit more bassy in their politics. Um, yeah. I really like Karen Bass. I was a big fan of Tammy Duckworth also. I think that she's mm. got an incredible future ahead of her. Um, she was sort of a dark horse candidate, Tammy Duckworth, but I would have been just completely over the moon if it had been her. But that being said. And don't forget Tammy Baldwin. I almost forgot Tammy Baldwin. Tammy Baldwin. The Tammys. Love her Tammy's too. Baldwin. There and-
0: so- See, we couldn't
1: have gone wrong. Yeah, there's such a deep bench of women who are willing and able to serve that it's a cool moment, I think. A a deep bench of women who come from all different backgrounds, different ages, different experiences, but they're all committed to getting Donald Trump out of there and trying to steer the ship in the right direction again. So that's pretty cool. Um, So once that initial like, oh, okay, Mm. okay, it's Kamala. All right. Let's pivot to talk about, how it's settling. Because I think you and I had a similar experience. Alyssa, how has it settled with you?
0: So, you know, at first I was like, okay, okay. And then as the night went on and as I went to bed and couldn't sleep, I was getting super pumped. I really was. It's fucking great. It's huge. It's almost like When you think of it, if you want to paint it in an entirely upside, in terms of the women that he could have, that Joe Biden could have picked as he announced in March, it was like an embarrassment of riches. Everybody, it wasn't like you had to choose between two people and it was like an Alpo spam, which is worse. Mm -hmm. We had so many great women who I think because the moment had not really been like, available before, I guess, for lack of a better word. There were just so many. And so I think that, like, I made my peace. I felt my gratitude for the women who it could have been. I felt super proud that it was Kamala. And also the more that you find out about her, as it's just about her, like, not her compared to all the other women in the primary, or just, like, who is this woman who's going to be the first, hopefully, woman to be vice president? I was stoked. I feel stoked. I feel stoked.
1: Yeah, I was starting to get more and more excited as I was imagining her coming up against the type of person that would want to get in between the Democrats and taking back the White House. Like, I immediately looked up when the vice presidential debate is, and it is on October 7th. October 7th, University of Utah. I, University of Utah. I tweeted that people should write ass whooping in their calendars because Kamala Harris debating Mike Pence... I cannot imagine delicious. Any, oh my god. The one thing that I would say is, you know, somebody pointed this out to me that Mike Pence is sort of a potato but stiffer when it comes to his his sort of charisma. He's a potato in a dress shirt with short sleeves. Um but he's, you know, we we can't set the bar for him so low that if he gets through the debate without crying and running off stage that he's considered to have won. Do you know what it made me think of? What? This is I'm I'm showing my
0: age on this one, but when I was thinking about what the debate would be like, it was like that scene in Reality Bites when Winona Ryder <laughs> says vivisection staggering understatement or whatever it is. I just that's what I feel like it's going to be. Yes. And that's not raising the bar on her performance. Like people were, when I said that yesterday on Twitter, people were like, oh, you're like raising expectations. Shut up.
1: Just shut up. She's going to kill him. It's like factual. It's empirical. We're not raising expectations. She's risen the expectations by over and over again proving that she's like a relentless debater and a fierce questioner. I think that having somebody who is absolutely not afraid and who will stand up to whoever steps to her is a really good quality for Joe Biden to have in a running mate.
0: And one of the things I think that you and I said during the primary, we talked about this a couple times, is that we felt that Kamala and Amy Klobuchar were the two people on the entire stage who came with a plan and executed it every debate. And I feel like that's a very good sign.
1: Mm -hmm. I was also excited about, you know, I was reading a little bit about her and I had forgotten about this, but she got um, California homeowners a really good deal mm-hmm. um after the financial crash um she walked away from uh, negotiation and a lot of a lot of money but not enough money and she ended up working with joe biden's son beau to get a lot more money for homeowners who were negatively impacted by the financial crash so she's a good negotiator she's a good debater she's a good questioner she's a great speaker she's also very ambitious and funny which, and funny and actually Cool in a way that most politicians are not cool. Now, that's not to say, you know how they there's like that that old saying that like if you're a seven in New York, you just have to, you know, you add two if you go to any other city out of 10. So I feel like in politics, if you're like a nine on the coolness scale, you have to subtract five in every other context. Like, (laughs) but I think on a political scale, like Kamala is like a nine when it comes to being
0: cool. Definitely. Definitely. There was one story that I had read that made me feel warm inside. And it's when she called Cory Booker for his birthday but switched to FaceTime, even though she had curlers in her hair, to show him how to make lentils properly. That's the thing I think makes her cool. She's like herself. Like what politicians usually, when they try to be cool, it's because it's like not in their DNA and it's just a fart in the forest.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I've never heard that before. Now I'm going to use it. You're welcome. Um, I also... I also want to point out that her attitude towards women's health has been very forward looking and progressive. Mm-hmm. Like, she hasn't let issues of maternal mortality and the racial disparities in healthcare in the US, she hasn't ever shut up about it, and that's great. She's floated the idea of making states that threaten abortion rights get their restrictions on abortion passed through the federal government before they're able to enact them. Mm-hmm. She's floated that idea, which is like an innovative way to handle states that are trying to very slowly chip away at Roe. I think that there are things that I will always feel like I'm to the left of her on, but she's the first candidate in a while that I think matches my views on women's health and mm-hmm. she I'm I'm excited about her now. Um I want to pivot really quickly to some people who are less excited about her. I, You know, I think as, as it was the date of Joe Biden announcing the woman that he was picking approached, I think a lot of people were bracing themselves for a deluge of sexism and racism directed at the candidate, depending on whether or not she was, you know, what, what racial group she belonged to. Um, and now that we know that Kamala Harris, that she's a woman, she's South Asian and she's black. You know, there are some people who are not doing a great job of handling it. And I'm going to go ahead and say it's the usual suspects. On Tuesday on his show, Tuker Carrollson. Tuker. Tuker Carrollson. I think his name is Tuker. Yeah, it's pronounced Tuker. Tuker is the long lost friend of Kavanaugh. Yeah. Tuker Carrollson mispronounced her name several times on his show. And then when somebody corrected him, he kind of... Got real emotional. I think that Tucker might be about to have his period or something. Um, <laughs> there are a couple other Fox News hosts that mispronounced her name. I think Janine Pyro and C. Ann Hannity both pro- <laughs> mispronounced her name. Um, I feel like mispronouncing her name is going to be something that conservatives think is awfully clever. But I, I want to. You know what? They
0: also thought that making sure you made. Barack, Barack Hussein Obama was going to, guess what? Doesn't fucking work. They're so basic.
1: That's the thing. Okay, right. Alyssa, sexism is so fucking boring. The most it boring. It is so boring and hacky. All of the sexist jokes are the same jokes that they have been telling since before women had the right to vote. It is fucking boring. Boring. You know, when Donald Trump is like, oh, men might be disappointed in Joe Biden choosing a, women- a woman, yawn. That is what? So boring. Donald Trump calling a- yet another woman nasty. Really? Dude. Record time. Record time. Fucking, fucking boring. Get boring. a new
0: line. Hire a fucking retired SNL writer or something, but you're
1: boring. <laughs> it's extremely boring. You know, it's also calling women mean. Sport. Whatever. Fuck off. How many t- how many times have you been called mean?
0: I mean, honestly, I'm not like that. But a lot. Enough. <laughs> enough. Considering I'm like the nicest person I know. I mean, I have been called mean a handful of times.
1: I get you seem nice. Like I'm supposed to be mad. <laughs> oh, I'm not trying to seem nice. I'm trying to be a cunt right now. Right. Thank you for noticing. Uh, you know, here's the thing. I think that a lot of sexists and misogynists and... People who really want to ruffle feathers of people who support the Biden-Harris ticket will come out with things that are boring, basic-ass, old-timey racism and sexism because what they want is for us to get riled up. They want to trigger the libs. And so I want to do a little bit of a, like, let's strategize about what is the most effective way to respond to really, really boring sexism. I mean... The what do you mean question is a good one. What do you mean by that is a good question. Right. I also think like pointing out that somebody is being boring is a fair way to respond. I think we need a new emoji.
0: A yawn emoji? Like, I think we need like a very illustrative yawn emoji that's like hand on head, perhaps like I can't handle how bored I am. I'm going to faint because it's uh, I need something so that we don't waste our words. Why should we have to waste our words by calling out boredom, boring, stupidity and basicness when we can just have an emoji do it for us? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the thumbs up emoji. I don't know.
1: That means so much. (laughs) You repeated something you heard your bad dad say to you in second grade. Iterate. Yeah. (laughs) It's like another thing. I think we also need a jerk off emoji, which the waving hand and the um, waving hand eggplant, I think, oftentimes conveys. Oh, Lord. I didn't know that. Jerking off. <laughs> well, just I'm just freestyling here with um, with emojis. <laughs> calling her mean, calling her nasty, saying that somehow her ambition is a bad thing. Like wanting to be president is the worst thing somebody who wants to be president can express. All of that's boring. And I think that when we notice it in people on the right, like Tucker and <laughs> Cian and... The Pyro. Uh, Mrs. Pyro. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Pyro or whatever. I think that we can pretty much safely just ignore what they're saying. But when it happens to somebody in our lives or when it happens among more mainstream media people who will care, I think the best response is to just be like, that was hacky. Why are you saying that? My favorite thing is...
0: That's uncool. It's just uncool. I even say it to my niece when she's being uncool, and she's two. I'm like, JJ, it's uncool. Don't be uncool. That's what it is, because you know that all they want to be so desperately is fucking cool. Yeah. That's why they're trying out all of these, like, stupid, hackish things, because they want someone to be like, do you see what Sian said today? It was cool.
1: It's not. You're uncool. Sean Hannity can never be cool as long as he has that hair. Um <laughs> I have one final question before we take a quick break. Do you think that it was bittersweet for Trump to have to defend Brett Kavanaugh? (laughs) Brett Kavanaugh, during his confirmation hearing, Kamala Harris was very hard on him. Rightfully so. And then Brett Kavanaugh threw a fit because men are too emotional to lead. (laughs) Um, But, you know, during his time in the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh hasn't been the greatest justice, but he did Uh, vote against Trump in his tax return cases so I thought it was kind of funny yesterday to see Donald Trump saying that what happened to Brett Kavanaugh was the worst thing in the world Brett Kavanaugh the judge who is trying to expose him as being like a liar and a fraud right sorry about that (sighs) sorry about that it's gonna be oh and we haven't gotten to the best little nugget what about Kamala we haven't gotten to the best nugget yet which one you know who donated to her campaign? Oh, I think I know, but why don't you tell us? <laughs> Donald Trump donated to her campaign when she was running for California attorney general. And so did Ivanka.
0: Feminist excommunicated forever. Ivanka <laughs> Trump. And what did Kamala Harris do with their money? What'd she do? She donated it to a group that helps with uh, human rights violations in Central America. Okay. She donated all $6,000 to a nonprofit. Wow.
1: Good for her, okay, so we're feeling good about Kamala, yeah, we feel good. We are continually braced for the deluge of dumb shit, but I think it's gonna be boring. The sexism is going to be boring. you
0: know one thing I want to say about Kamala before we leave her? Mm-hmm. A fun fact I did not know she's five foot two, which is exactly how tall I am. what which goes to show she's five <laughs> two. Five too. that you don't have to be tall to be powerful. That she seems tall. She does seem tall. No, that's the thing is that maybe I seem tall to people. I
1: don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm five seven. I would be. Oh, I could you're carry. Just showing could, off now. I could carry her like a backpack.
0: <laughs> did you just call me a Smurf?
1: Yeah, I did. I did. It's I okay. think we're. I think maybe we're at that, that makes you Gargamel. <laughs> Fine, I will change my Twitter handle to Aaron Gargamel Ryan. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay, let's take a quick break. I am really looking forward to what we're talking about for Personal Political. Alyssa, stick around. Everybody else, stick around. There are going to be some commercials, and then there will be more people to talk about a new subject. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. We've gotten to the part of the show where we talk about a bigger topic that's in the news that's affecting our lives personally. We call it personal political. Alyssa's is still here with me, but I want to welcome two more wonderful women who are joining the conversation. First up, she is a writer and the host of, I think, at last count, 10,277 podcasts, including <laughs> Noble Blood and Popcorn Book Club. It is Dana Schwartz, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, a podcast because I live alone in a studio apartment during a quarantine. It's the only human interaction
1: I get. <laughs> it, it's pretty much the bulk of my outside of my family interactions. So, relatable. Um, up next, we have a writer, actor, and activist, Grace Parra. Yeah, that's me. Sure. I was I was like, I can't use hyperbole to describe her. Because I've already used... Well, you could always use Nervous Little Pepper. Nervous Little Pepper. (laughs) Nervous Little Pepper, Grace (laughs) Parra. There's a fussy grocery store in my neighborhood in LA. And every time I go in, there's like these like five peppers just nestled (laughs) preciously on like a bed of straw. And they just look Uh so nervous. And... Uh grace para really basically (laughs) that's Um, me
3: just like quivering and a little spicy
1: (laughs) (laughs) um guys today i want to talk about something that i think about a lot because it's both fun and scary to think about and it's also timely because on tuesday this week the winner of a Republican primary in a Georgia congressional race is a subscriber to a belief system called QAnon named Marjorie Taylor Greene. The district is, I think, a 25-plus point Republican district. So in November, we're about to have a congressperson who believes in QAnon. So in case listeners don't know what QAnon is, it's kind of hard to explain because I think it's it's like nuttier than uh, Mr. Peanut's jockstrap. But um, (laughs) wow. Did you come up
3: with that? That's good. I like it.
1: I did. See, nuts on nuts on nuts. Sure. Yeah, it's like a triple entendre. Um, Yeah. So basically, QAnon is this internet hewn conspiracy theory that a group of politicians and celebrities and the deep state are working in conjunction with each other to worship Satan and eat babies and molest children so it's it's crazy um but a lot of people believe in it i also you know president trump has kind of cozied up to it as well so we're about to get a QAnon congressperson in a time when i feel like we have a conspiracy theorist president and a lot of really really outside of reality stuff kind of circulating and dana I want to start with you. Republicans have been kind of quietly panicking about QAnon because they need dangerous conspiracy nuts who are totally unhinged from reality in order to win elections. Yep. That's an important voting block for them. Yep. Do you know anybody who's gotten caught up in QAnon? And uh, what do you think its I appeal do. is? Oh, you do? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about uh, I don't
2: want to, like, put it on the spot, but I have a an extended family member who <gasps> is, like, not crazy, but, like, to the point where, like, it's, like, hard for my dad to – email him you know what i mean where it's like oh no oh no you don't actually believe this like not full nut Mm -hmm. i hope not like jockstrap nut (laughs) (laughs) not jockstrap yet but like to the point where like i think my dad is like we can't talk about politics but it's it's impossible to argue with these people because it's it's like the opposite of science where like science if you get new information you you reevaluate your belief set where this is you have your belief set And then no matter what piece of information comes in, you twist it to refeed whatever theory you already have. Where if there's data, oh, well, the the scientists are part of it. If there's a newspaper, oh, well, obviously the newspapers are in on it and covering it this way. Like, there's literally nothing you could do or say to convince them otherwise.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Trump has shared, uh, as of a week ago, according to Vice, uh, Trump has shared 90 tweets from 49 different QAnon-linked accounts. Yeah. And there are 17 QAnon candidates that are on the ballot. 17? At least 17 now.
2: That's crazy. That's crazy talk.
1: 17 publicly. Who
2: knows? How many right.
1: Privately. Exactly. Are- right. Exactly. <sighs> um, so I want to ask you, Grace, you know, apologies in advance if this question is is leading. Mm-hmm. How fucked up is it <laughs> <laughs> that a racist like, you know, the QAnon Georgia candidate A racist who subscribes to a belief system that is completely untethered from reality and has been characterized as a terrorist threat is considered by mainstream Republicans to be more desirable as a congressperson than somebody like, say, Katie Hill. Mm -hmm. Uh, How fucked up is that?
3: Or even the neurosurgeon who ran against her, who is also super conservative, but not QAnon conservative. You know, not not QAnon fucked up. Um, It's the point at which QAnon goes from being kind of quirky, funny to me, which to be completely honest, it sort of has been in the past. Because, you know, you see some people with the big Q signs at Trump rallies. And yes, he'll tweet some things, retweet. He'll make some mentions of it. Uh, I've sort of seen it as this underground kind of you know, community that I really, I don't know anybody involved in it or anybody who subscribes to it. But the point at which we are electing people who are vocal, adamant supporters of this movement is is very frightening. Um, I think, however, to me, it comes from a place of all of us just wanting to be childhood sleuths. I was thinking about why people would be interested in QAnon, and it's like, okay, well, if you think about it, we grew up reading books like Nancy Drew, like The Westing Game, one of my favorites, like Scooby-Doo even. We've seen these shows where kids are just like being cool and discovering things that the rest of the world doesn't know about, or even
2: like The Da Vinci Code. You remember how big mm-hmm. that was a few years ago? Or even, even like non-mysteries, even something like Harry Potter, you're like, oh, there's yes! a secret hidden world. We don't know about it. But there's something hidden. Yes, people love that. So it's been ingrained in us from a young age to seek
3: that out in some ways. So I don't blame QAnon people for wanting there to be some conspiracy, but I don't think there is in this case at all. And the strange web in which they tie things together that just don't exist is like it's – it's like a bad Nancy Drew. It's like bad Hardy Boys. It's like – You
1: shut your mouth. They're on their bad Nancy Drews. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alyssa, back me up here. Um, I, I just think I think that's an interesting and very generous read. Yeah, yeah. On what's going on. Alyssa, I mean, this isn't obviously this isn't the first political conspiracy theory. You've worked in politics for a while. So, I mean, how do the wackadoodle conspiracy theories that you had to deal with when you were working in politics, how do they compare to our current moment? Has it gotten worse or are we just imagining that it's worse because we're in it right now?
0: Birtherism was in fact a conspiracy theory for fucking sure. Mm-hmm. And that was like, here's here's the thing about birtherism. It was so fucking nuts. It was so crazy. On the face, and so easy to disprove the fact that Donald Trump was saying Barack Obama was not a legitimate president because he was not born in America, fucking moron. <laughs> that, like, they had to go deeper underground. You know what I mean? Like, the birtherism was a little too on the nose, a little too out in the open. And so now they've taken that deep racism, anti Semitism, all the bad isms underground. With some like weird hand signals, right? There's a QAnon hand signal, isn't there? I think there is. Yeah. I don't know what it I don't know what it mm-hmm. is. I
1: don't wanna know what it is. I, my brain is- I'm sure
0: it's like on par with the white supremacy hand mm-hmm. sign that everyone's like, no, it's just an okay symbol. No, it's not. <gasps> and so now they've just tried to make it like a little bit more subversive, little bit of a harder club to get into, so that they can all just talk to each other and not have like normal educated people disabuse them of their warped. Obtuse beliefs.
2: Mm-hmm. From what I've seen on the internet, there's also like layers to it mm-hmm. where there's like Facebook memes about child trafficking, and the numbers are completely false and fabricated and, and wrong. Uh, but good people feel good about sharing those, right. and that's like a gateway. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's interesting. I was reading today that Facebook is like the main yeah place where this all yeah. lives, and the algorithm basically reinforces it's like you like this do you want to watch this thing that's more extreme how about this thing that's more extreme and Mm -hmm. Facebook does it too it's like you liked this how about this thing that's that like that but a little bit more how about this that's like that but a little bit more but at the same time you know we can't pretend that QAnon came out of nowhere like Alyssa you were saying birtherism was a big time fake conspiracy theory and there's been a lot of like writing and research about conspiracy theories. Like my old colleague from uh, my Jezebel days, Anna Merlin, has written a book about it called Republic of Lies, which I recommend. Um, she's super smart about it. There's also people that are basically on the conspiracy beat, like Ben Collins and Brandi Zadrozny at NBC News, uh, Kevin Roos at the New York Times, Will Somer at the Daily Beast. These are people who are reputable journalists who are documenting what's happening within these worlds. And one of the things that I think people kind of miss is there is a context to it because it is true that the government has covered things up in the past and lied about things. And um, it is true that we're living in a time now where we don't know the uh, entire truth about what's happening. And it is true that the government has done horrible things to people like the Tuskegee experiment, for example. But it just feels like right now we're in a time that like our president is actually... A conspiracy theorist and he doesn't do anything to like discourage people from believing the craziest things possible but going back to conspiracy theories that aren't quite so terrorist mm-hmm. what is your favorite like conspiracy theory from history that that you kind of view as benign compared to what's going on with QAnon?
3: I'm I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of into well this is not from history it's kind of modern I think the 5G conspiracies are fascinating I think anytime there's a conspiracy that ties in technology taking over humanity and technology sort of you know uh, running running amuck or like you know the robots are coming for us kind of thing um, an example of that also this is really more in like internet meme creation category and maybe not so much a conspiracy but um in the same vein do you remember momo from like a year ago Yeah, momo was that oh my god I, simpler I love times simpler times and yet it was okay so so tell me if i'm describing this correctly um but this meme Momo is 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 this like very creepy uh, female uh, face that has bulging eyes and like straw-like kind of dry uh, black hair, and the message contained within this Momo messaging is uh, was apparently intended to make kids either commit suicide or do some sort of self-harm. And it was stuff that only kids could see that adults couldn't, even though adults could also watch the videos. And like, I remember Kim Kardashian reposting things about <laughs> oh this no. on her Instagram. Yeah, it got, really, it got really out of hand. And then I, I, I truly don't know the origin of it, but it was all the rage for like 24 hours. What a conspiracy. What a moment.
1: So I, I know a little bit about Momo because whenever anything like this happens, I'm like, what's really going on here? <laughs> yeah, An artist made a sculpture of that face yeah basically and that face was used as momo and it was it was basically it was it was more of an urban legend but then Mm -hmm. something happened in the uk and it got repeated and became a big news story that was really based on kind of a a non-event it was a little bit it was like a case of mass hysteria dana what's your favorite conspiracy theory type belief i
2: love sort of like innocuous pop culture conspiracy theories I like the one that like Avra Levine w- is dead and was replaced by uh, some random person, <laughs> which is very funny to me. That's There's- awesome. <laughs> Have you heard the one that um, Coca-Cola invented new Coke on purpose to be bad, but then so they could go back to old Coke with like cheaper ingredients and people wouldn't taste the difference? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> one that I believe because that's like a corporate corporations are shady as, as fuck. Yeah. And then I like like dumb ones, like people saying like Stevie Wonder isn't <laughs> blind. I love Which is funny that one. to me. Yeah.
1: I love that one. Alyssa, what's your, what's your favorite conspiracy theory? You know I love Angela Merkel,
0: Chancellor of Germany. Of course. Well, mm-hmm. I have known about this one for a while. I can't believe I get a chance to fucking talk about it. <laughs> so in Germany, there is a conspiracy theory that Angela Merkel... Chancellor of Germany, is actually the daughter of Hitler. How could this be, you ask? How could this be? (laughs) Okay. Angela Merkel's birthday is July 17th. A leak of Stasi documents indicates her real birthday is April 20th. The same as Hitler, born in 1954. How can this be, you say? Because apparently there's a theory. That fucking Hitler froze <laughs> sperm. And that Angula is the resurrection of the Nazi. And there are also these like Angula Putin conspiracy theories that she's really a Russian double agent. I hope someday <laughs> I have as many vivid conspiracy theories about me as Angula does. But yeah, she conspiracy theory. She is the daughter of Hitler. Wow. I mean, how do you even, how do you even argue with that if somebody comes to you? And And the question is, how did I stumble upon that years ago?
2: (laughs) Have you guys seen the documentary on Netflix called Behind the Curve? No.
0: No. 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 It's
2: actually fascinating just as like a window into a conspiracy theory mindset. It's about the subculture of people who truly in their heart of hearts believe that the earth is flat. Oh yeah. Like really. And the documentary is good because at first it sort of like focuses on the people who just sort of are doing it to like troll and like have fun and then it really gets into the people who like truly believe this Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. elaborate conspiracy and it's like it's a very empathetic documentary which i like that it's not like making fun of them, (laughs) but like they just want to feel like they're a part of something like they do sort of grace what you were saying like they want this like importance of like They cracked it, and they're the only ones who know. It's like their lives are so sad and boring and uninteresting that they need this, like, thing to feel like they're a part of. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: We all want to feel like Tom Hanks and the Da Vinci Code. We all want to be symbologists. We all want to feel like there's a code that we cracked. That's what we're going at. By the way, this is why I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the documentary on HBO, is so fascinating. Because it really – it's really ultimately about a group of people who just wanted to crack this – this mystery of who this, who the Golden State Killer was. I don't know if you guys have seen mm-hmm. the doc. It's fantastic in a lot of different ways. But one of it is really because it just showcases people who, when they have limited time on their hands, free time, what they do is they choose to try to find who this murderer is. And we all just want to be part of some things. We all want to be part of secret clubs. I, I mean, think. you know mm-hmm.
0: that that's the number one <laughs> number one recruiting tool of the Ku Klux Klan. Is that they find people who don't... That makes sense. It's it's true. That they find people who, especially, say, like, veterans who have just left the armed forces, who come from this place of community, Mm -hmm. who then don't have community. And they entice them Mm -hmm. with this, like, we're going to be your family. We're going to take care of you. And it's, like, not really the racism that draws people in. It's the, like, looking for people who are kind of like you and going to make you not feel alone.
1: And then it spirals. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think... The human desire for like connection and society is something that like I think about a lot because and, and I'm not saying that more people should go to church because I think organized religion is really uh, corrosive in a lot of contexts. Um, but the number of Americans that have that participate in organized religion has gone down like really, really significantly over the last decades. And for a lot of people who went, who did go to church, it served as like a community hub for them. Mm-hmm. And in the absence of community hubs and public spaces and things that people would gather together to do, it feels like there's a lot of lonely people out there. And it seems like Loneliness is the first step to getting swept into something like uh, multi-level marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like people get swept into multi-level marketing partly because they want to feel like they're in a sorority. Um, I feel like, you know, QAnon, people want to feel like they're in a secret detective club, like you pointed out, Grace. Mm -hmm. Um, Political fringes and conspiracy theories, like, once you find somebody who also believes in something kind of wacky that you believe in, you feel a sense of camaraderie with them. It gives you a sense of belonging to a community. Like, for example, my favorite genre of conspiracy theories are fake deaths. Mm-hmm. Because I think, f- <gasps> like, faking your death is like, I mean, look, you shouldn't fake your death. <laughs> but, 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 like... There on the other hand... On the other hand, it's fascinating when people do. <laughs> yeah. um, like, for example, uh, there's this, this whole community of people online who believe Michael Jackson faked his death. And, like, there are some weird... Uh, publicly available discrepancies, like the whole his death was weird. But he was a weird guy. He could have just had a weird death, or you know, but or people are clinging to the belief that he he faked his death. I love the idea that Andy Kaufman, oh, uh, oh deep, yes, yeah, deeply weird genius who also seems like a real asshole, faked his death like as a joke, mm-hmm. and now he can't really, he can't really can't come back, can't come back from that one unless he was going to do it like. I mean, in a really spectacular way, because that would be kind of hilarious yeah. if, we're, if we're being honest. But, you know, whenever I meet somebody and, and they want to talk about, like, oh, what if Andy Kaufman faked his death? Like, that's, oh, hey, we've got something to talk about. Like, yeah. it's a fun thing for us to talk about. Do you guys know anybody who has gotten into something kind of culty, kind of gone off the deep end that wasn't QAnon? And, like, how did you deal with... Um, either trying to bring them back into the fold of reality or just deciding that they were a lost cause? And and when do you make that call?
3: I I have a relatively recent experience with this with a friend who I have not talked to in maybe nine months or more um, because she joined a "Quote unquote religious community oh. that is," um, and she actually brought me to what I now look back and realize was essentially a recruiting meeting like two or three years ago, and uh, oh, and man. I I knew it was a recruiting co- meeting by like midway through when they were trying to sell us on the different tiers that you could join and how much money it would take to start to become a part of this community, the different perks you would get to have, you know, one on ones with the, whoever the guru was in charge. Um, it has made my relationship with her essentially disappear. And I don't know who she's become. I have not spoken to her in a long time. It's very sad to me because I feel like she's been kind of indoctrinated in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, she and I grew up Catholic. So both of us definitely know what it's like to be part of that community, Aaron. I think you mentioned the idea of faith tying into this uh, is, is is dead on. Um, in some ways, as adults, we seek that, but because many of us have had experiences where we adhere to certain religions early on in childhood that we then move away from, that that space needs to be filled with something. So. I understand her wanting to find community in this way, but, um, she just, uh, she's unrecognizable, unrecognizable, not, not bad, not somebody that I couldn't communicate with, but just exhibiting characteristics that I was, I know I'm kind of being vague here, but I, 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 there is kind of vagueness to it though, you know, at least Mm -hmm. in my experience, unless you go down the same path of people who have gone into these, um, you know, communities, there's just, there's a lot of unknowns. There's Mm -hmm.
2: a, there's a QAnon like support group on Reddit and it's, like the saddest thing in the world, it's like QAnon mm. orphans or something like that, where people talk about genuinely feeling like they lose the people close to them, and it's like mm. a really profound loss. Yeah, uh, QAnon casualties is the is the Reddit sub community if people are looking for it, and it's genuinely heartbreaking because you have to. It like feels like someone you love is being taken over by like an
1: alien being.
2: Yeah, uh,
3: Scientology I know has groups like that too. Yeah hmm
1: Yeah. I mean, where, where do we draw the line between somebody... Okay, so I think a lot of people have recognized sort of culty behavior in people who have suddenly, you know, hopped aboard the Trump train and just let it drive off a cliff and been like, yay, we're on vacation. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, here's you can't just... I think for a lot of people who've witnessed friends and family members uh, subscribe to a belief system that makes them unrecognizable, like, you can't just say like, okay, well, my dad's a lost cause, you know, fuck him, you know, like, how do you hold on to people who you who you love, who seem like they're really losing it? Like, Alyssa, have you had any experience or counseled anybody through going through something like that? I mean, Mm. I had like, I mean, I had like a really, uh, a really bougie friend
0: who was swept up into one of these like, And I'm not dismissing it because I've done it myself, breath work. I've done it myself. But it was like a weird, expensive-ish kind of, I don't want to say cult, but it was a group. And it made her talk (laughs) about kind of weird things. And finally, I was just like... I can't talk about this. There, I feel like there are some real people with real problems in the world who could maybe, like, benefit from some of what you're doing here. But I didn't want to be judgmental either because it really – it helped her through some things. But it was, a, it was a weird period of time. I mean, I just mm-hmm. – I was mostly like, I can't talk to you about this, which is not helpful. Right. <laughs> but I was like, let's talk about something else. I can't talk There's about no this. There's
2: no way to, to logic out of it. There's right. that, that, like, God, that phrase. Like, it's, it might be like a P.T. Barnum quote – but like it's easier to fool someone than convince someone they've been fooled. Whoa. Yeah. Dana. Yeah. And I'm paraphrasing. But yeah. Nobody
1: wants to be a dupe. Right. Nobody yeah. wants to be yeah. like, you know, going up to someone and being like, hey, idiot, you uh <laughs> hey idiot, you made bad decisions, you got fooled, and now you're right. fucked and you're you're an idiot. Like
2: You spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a garbage product. Good job. That, yeah.
3: That's why, Aaron, to your to your question of what what do you do, I have at least in my with my experience, this personal experience, to give this person space seems to be the, the best mode of, of action. I'm not denouncing them altogether. I'm not like writing an angry letter saying, fuck you, yeah, you know, you right. spent all this money on garbage, whatever. But I'm just allowing this person to take the space that I think she clearly needs to take. Now, I, I think you bring up a good distinction though when it comes to somebody closer, like a like a parent, let's say, like a sibling maybe you do the same thing in as much as you can um you know offer space and uh and 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 maybe maybe like some sort of message of like listen i'm here if you want to talk at any point if not that's also fine too um i don't know how much more proactive you can be right
1: mhm I mean, and then there are the sort of belief systems that are actively, I mean, there, there are belief systems that are weird, where it's like, okay, my friend's in a church that's super weird, and now there's a glassy-eyed look to her. That's <laughs> weird. But then there's, like, culty beliefs that are, cor- like, actually corrosive and socially bad. Mm-hmm. Um, anti-vax people, oh. for oh example. Oh,
2: my God. Uh, Sorry. People who think
1: COVID is a hoax, and that masks yeah. make you sick. One of the the hardest things about grappling with these weird times that we're living in is that we've, like, people have just decided to customize their own reality as though that's like a possible thing to do. And sometimes their customizable reality is something that's actively harmful to other people. Um, do you think like shame works in bringing these people back around? Like what works besides them actually experiencing the a bad outcome as a result of their own beliefs?
2: You have to make a Facebook meme of the, op- of the opposite thing <laughs> yeah. to get them on board. Just look with like numbers where it's like, The the people who are like so concerned about human trafficking that then think like Tom Hanks is ordering children in
1: from Wayfair or whatever Wayfair yeah like Wayfair things
2: like the I was listening to a podcast they were talking about uh the numbers that people use like the most inflated numbers of like eight hundred thousand children are missing in America where it's like if you believe that number which is like crazy and like has children counted multiple times. Like every time a child runs away from home, it's counted. And like every anonymous call is counted. 99.8% of those children return home. Like something like that where it's like that number is not like strangers snatching children off the street. It's like 16-year-olds right. who run away mm-hmm. and then come back. The the facts aren't there, but people don't, do not care because isn't it so much... Sexier to realize that you found Wayfair shipping children in cabinets.
1: <laughs> da Vinci Code. I mean, oh. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that that has been sort of effective, um, and this has not happened with any members of my immediate family because I I'm lucky to have a I, I'm lucky my nothing bad has happened with any members of my immediate family. But people in my like family circle or people like in kind of extended spaces, I think the only thing that's been effective. Is uh, we're not talking about that, or like I'm not talking about that with you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and drawing a boundary. Like, look, you can have your own thing, but that thing that you have stays with you, and it doesn't doesn't affect me because I will like I I can't talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I will say in the in the documentary, the flat Earth documentary, the strategy that sort of seemed to work in that, and they talked to psychiatrists and like is not shame-based is like very accepting and you come like you're on their side and you're like okay well explain this to me and sort of like let them talk their way out of it from a place of support but Mm -hmm. that takes like so much patience and mental energy that like not everyone can do that that's like genuinely like how to cult deprogram someone from like a professional Mm
3: -hmm. i also i i admire i don't know that i can think back to a time when i have been able to say with confidence And then walk away from a situation, a phrase like, I don't want to talk to you about this. And then for things to be okay afterwards. And that might just be a confidence thing that I have. But I wonder how to effectively communicate. Maybe this is like, I need like confidence 101 lesson here. How do you effectively communicate a boundary um, and then still be able to communicate with them about other
0: things? That's really more a question. This may not be the exact right answer, but I do have a friend who at one point said positive things about Trump like since he's been president. And this is so, it was so shocking to me that I was ready to like lurch at her. And then I decided to lead with curiosity because here's the thing. I am not excusing any of it, but there is a difference between someone who says, you know, I have a lot more money in my bank account since he's president versus someone who's like someone who finally understands that. White people are perfect. Like those are two different approaches. So I led with curiosity, and you know, it turned out she was like misinformed. She had been on some bad Facebook pages, mm. and by not shaming her, by being like, "Well, wait, tell me more. Like, why do you why do you think that? Like, do you think that's actually true?" That helped. It works a little bit. I mean, I, I she's not voting for Trump, so I guess I'm a fucking star. But yeah, <laughs> but I think you're right. If if you want any sort of approach whatsoever, it can't really be shame-based. Because then they're like, this is exactly what the QAnon people told me was going to happen. They told me that my friends were going to tell me I was stupid and this, this, and this. And then it's like, check, check, check. They're right again. And so I feel like, you know, it's, I don't know, it's like the best thing you can do.
3: Don't you think it's crazy that for every crazy conspiracy out there, there's like more than one person who believes it. Like the beauty of culture is that there's a pot for every kettle. But the terrible thing about our culture too is that there's a pot for every kettle there's always going to be somebody who agrees
2: with the most out there theories Mm -hmm. and internet culture that's the that's the challenge of internet where it's like in before the internet if you believed a crazy thing and happened to get a pamphlet in the mail about it or whatever like okay there's 12 people who believe it but now you can like find your little community and make little nice looking font memes about (laughs) whatever and like Spread it and, and have your community very effectively commute. That's the egalitarianness of the internet becomes troubling mm-hmm. in that sense because like mm-hmm. numbers look the same whether mm-hmm. they're true or false on the internet. Yeah. That I don't that sounds so dumb in a non profound way, but you know what I mean? Like totally true. Yeah. It's it's people who aren't trained to like look for sources and don't care about that. Yeah. Things that are objectively false can be presented as if they're true on the internet. Mm-hmm.
1: You bringing up pamphlets in the mail made me think, made me remember that Ron Paul exists. And I was just thinking like, God, I wonder if if Ron Paul is like, I was born 50 years too early. I could have been the king. I could have been king of the crazy now. Um, I do think, you know, to end on a kind of high note, um, you know, let's say that we have at least one QAnon congressman. Who, who, by the way, thinks that she's she's going to come blazing into Capitol Hill and get Nancy Pelosi out of there? Which, please, try it. I would love to see it. I would love to see you try. Um, the, one of the best legislators in American history will be definitely be taken out by a, a stringy-haired Georgian. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, but one thing that's good is that sometimes I'm a mohair think- Georgian. Momo. It is mo- now that I know what Momo is. she's straight up got Momo hair. <laughs> she's got Momo hair. But anyway, so, uh, but the thing is, like, sometimes the best way to get rid of these kind of underground things is to just, like, expose them to sunlight. You know, like, sunlight's a great disinfectant. And seeing this... Per- <laughs> Did you just make that up? No, there's a whole foundation around it called the Sunlight Foundation. Sunlight and bleach actually get rid of COVID. <laughs> yeah, sunlight and bleach. Um, sunlight and bleach in all the holes in your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but... But I think exposing something like this to sunlight will kind of mainstream the fact that it is ridiculous and it's none of the things that they're saying are actually true and that it's a flawed belief system. And QAnon will, you know, come apart at the seams, hopefully, and unravel until the next crazy thing to come along that people are able to glom onto and then we'll have to do another show about that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I think that it is a disturbing culty Belief set, but I don't think that it can really live forever. Mm-hmm. I hope.
2: Oh, your 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 lips to God's ears, Aaron.
1: <laughs> Knock wood. Knock wood. Okay, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to do "I Feel Petty." <laughs> Welcome back. We've reached almost the end of the show, but this is the part where we really get serious about things that really don't matter all that much. It's called I Feel Petty. I'm going to get started this week. Um, So as people who follow me on social media or talk to me know, um, we've been driving for the past like few weeks. I haven't been back at home, just been on a big old road trip. And um, so I've been to. I think we're going to have visited 17 states on this yeah. trip. It's a wow, yeah, real big trip. Amazing. It was like visiting both families and then and then returning home, uh, kind of in a like circuitous way. And in every state, look, I, I live in Los Angeles now. I'm used to the L.A. stare, where you enter a business, everybody turns and looks. They look you up and down to see if you're someone important, and I'm not, so they go back to their business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the Midwest and literally everywhere else. In New York, they don't even look at you. In L.A., they look at you just like a perfunctory, important, no, bye. Everywhere else that I have been on this trip, you know, from the wilds of Pennsylvania all the way down to the wilds of Missouri to the nothings of Wyoming, when you walk into a place, people stop, turn around, and stare unabashedly stare we as a nation have a staring problem and it's not just me being like people stare at me everywhere I watched other people stare at other people coming in like I stared at the starers to see if the staring was something that they did there's too much staring when somebody comes in and you want to know who they are just glance real quick to see because staring is a really rude way to greet somebody say hi if you're going to say hi Or don't stare if you're not going to say hi. Staring is not an appropriate way to respond to somebody entering a business or a place that you're sitting waiting to pay for gas or whatever.
3: Do you think that the stares have become elongated because of mask use? Like, in other words, we're only seeing a third, maybe half of one's face now.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair question. But I think most of the places I've been to a diverse enough array of Mm -hmm. places like A gas station. You would not expect to see somebody at a gas station off the interstate that you know. So, like, you don't need to look at them being like, do I know you? I can't tell because you got the mask on. I just think that people need to do a better job of, like, not staring. Don't stare.
2: <laughs> you're you're very pretty, Aaron. Not Maybe with the mask are... on. I
1: paint a very scary mouth on it. And I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it's, but it's like I was saying. It's not just me or people that I, you know, I've watched. That's what happens every time somebody enters a place. Everybody turns and looks for like two seconds too long, and then goes back to what they're doing. And it it's not. Don't do it. The L.A. stare <laughs> is obnoxious too. I don't like that, but I'm, I've am i totally given up on the fact that L.A. will always have that sort of superficial, are you important uh-huh. element to it. But the rest of the country, you don't. Don't do it. Uh-huh. Don't do it. Uh-huh. Don't be worse than L.A. at this thing. Be better <laughs> because you are better. You can be better. I have faith in you. Okay, that's thats my I feel petty this week. Um, Who wants to go next? I got it. Okay.
2: Mine is, so I do a history podcast called Noble Blood. And so I get a lot of people talking to me about history, which I love because it's my favorite thing to talk about other than like TV shows. But a trend, not a trend, a thing that really annoys me, uh, the bee in my bonnet is when people describe historical women as badass. Oh, agree. Um, Agree. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And people do it a lot. They're like, oh, she was so badass. And I find it really infantilizing. And and anachronistic, obviously, but, like, that's even besides the point. Like, I find it really infantilizing and oversimplifying. And people are like, oh, but she was badass. She, like, you know, wore pants and fought a war. And I'm like, okay, well, one, those are – when people say badass, I feel like they tend to mean, like, exhibited stereotypically masculine traits. Uh And that's why they're worthy of us talking about them. Mm -hmm. And I just want to shake people and be like, okay, even women in history who – had stereotypically feminine strength are worthy of us talking about them. And there's a reason people don't describe men as badass, just like, oh, Lincoln was so badass. (laughs) Yeah, because it sounds stupid and infantilizing and oversimplifying, and women are human beings. And I understand the impulse to get people excited about talking about women in history, but I hate that as a society, apparently the only way we get excited about women in history is pretending that they like wore <laughs> leather jackets and kicked people. <gasps> yeah. So mm-hmm. just like if you if you feel the need to describe a woman in history as badass, just like take a moment and think and be like, okay, well, what am I trying to communicate here? Because saying badass doesn't mean it. It's like it's nice. A it's like word. saying nice.
3: She was. N- yeah. Or interesting.
2: Right. Interesting. Yeah.
3: Was it meant fucking mean nothing? Nothing.
1: I mean, next time you talk about a uh, male historical figure who was maybe in good shape, just be like, and he had a perky little ass. Yeah, he had a perky little ass.
3: <laughs> perky little ass. But he didn't ass. smile nearly uh, enough. <laughs> uh, Grace, you want to go next? Okay. My I Feel Petty is a little bit petty and a little bit pragmatic, too. I can't do any more streaming services. I'm tapped out I Every day it. there's a new one. Every day. Yep. Sorry, Peacock. Great programming. Awesome. I, I can't do it anymore. Uh, I uh, heard about Shudder the other day. I'm, I love horror films. Huge fan of horror films. Apparently there's this thing called Shudder that's just horror films, like, you know, thousands of, of – a catalog of thousands. I, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I also can't do any more streamers that don't – this is where it gets petty – that don't provide an additional service beyond just content. So, like, Amazon, you know, it's great that I can order – Toilet paper and then also watch some cool shows. But unless a streamer is also a florist or, you know, (laughs) I can – an insurance company or, you know, I can watch Peacock and also buy shoes. I don't – it's – I'm tapped out. I can't do it anymore anymore. I don't know what we're going to do. Now, this is where a big conglomerate could come in, scoop them all together, and just make cable 2.0. I'm ready for that. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is an example of like technology coming along and being like, hey, we've got a good idea. And then everybody tried to do the same idea over and over again. And now there's like yes. 50 good ideas and it's too much stuff. And it just makes, it's worse than it was before. Yes. Remember, we it's were all like, worse. we're going to cut the cord. We're just going to pick and choose what we want. And now it's like. HBO Max, okay, fine. Because of I May Destroy You, fine. I'll get HBO <laughs> yep. Max. And the South Park catalog, fine. <laughs> I know Dana disagrees with me on that one. But.
2: No, I, I honestly I don't I like South Park fine as a show, and I love the movie. It's the fans I don't like.
1: <laughs> it's always fair take. It's always it's like the,
2: the show is is good and fine and like any piece of art is is its own thing and it's always just like people who make it their personality. I think yeah. you should
1: tweet something bad about Rick and Morty and see what happens. <laughs> oh
2: my God. Like and already. I love, and I love Rick and Morty. And now I feel like I have to be embarrassed to say it where I'm like, I like Rick and Morty, <laughs> like, but I'm not like a, a screeching man boy.
1: I've downloaded three specific different streaming services because things migrate now, yep. which is another annoying aspect of it. Cause it's like, okay, I did this one because this, it has this show and then it'll be that show will be my gateway drug into whatever else mm-hmm. into whatever else they're doing. And then they'll move it to somewhere else. And it's like, okay, now Disney owns this. Mm-hmm. Now I have to do Disney. Mm-hmm. Now I have to do it's I agree with you, Grace. It's it's a lot. It's too it's much. It's too much. I'm it's over. It. It's too much. Alyssa, do you want to bring us home?
0: Yeah, mine's short and sweet. Donald Trump needs to learn how to put his makeup on. I cannot stand. He wears <laughs> so much. He is so specific about his hair. And there's always, like, no matter where you look, this, like, stripe of white. Like, the hair and the makeup. Uh Never the twain shall meet. And it's like, honestly, just fucking blend. You know he doesn't do it himself. Who is he paying? Who are the American people paying that can't fucking blend his makeup? Just fix it. It's too much. A beauty blender. Those things have been
1: trendy for years.
0: Even I have one, okay? And I think we all know what that means.
1: (laughs) I mean, maybe. I mean, it's it's not even like white. It's like the color of the inside of my arm, yes. which is like it's like baby pig color,
2: yeah. mm-hmm. translucent. It's dead flesh. Yeah, it's mm-hmm.
1: not even baby pig. Yeah, it's like formaldehyde preserved dissection baby pig,
2: fetal
0: pig,
1: fetal. fetal pig. Oh, oh, we're mm-hmm. bringing it
0: home. Oh, we're bringing,
1: yeah. it, we're bringing it home. Alyssa, you're a hundred percent right. Is it possible that his makeup artists hate him? <laughs>
0: That would be a delight. That's for but sure. But there has to be another reason. Like, maybe they don't want to get too close to, like, his weave or whatever is going on with the hair attached to his head. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But just just fix it. Just fix it. Just fix it.
1: I will say that, you know, after... You know, living my entire life, watching women in politics be covered based on their hair and makeup in a way that's like sexist and rude. This is my point. It feels so nice to finally be able to talk shit about a man's hair and makeup. Love it. Because no woman
0: would leave the house with that
1: fucking situation going
2: on. Ever. That's true.
3: (laughs) That's true. So just fix (laughs) it. Certainly not our vice president to
1: be.
2: No. No, never. No. Kamala's makeup is always perfectly blended.
1: It is flawless. Absolutely. Never Um, seen a
2: harsh line. Never. (laughs)
1: Look, if you can't manage your own makeup, how can we expect you to manage America, Donald Trump? It's
2: a great litmus test. He can't unite his face and his hairline. (laughs) He can't unite America.
1: Perfect. (laughs) Oh, my God. On that note, that's our show for today. Dana, Grace, and Alyssa, thank you for stopping by. Thanks to you all for listening. And there will be more Hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett. And Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Brian Semmel and Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.